な Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series in Philippians chapter 4, the book of life. We've been thinking these past weeks about what it looks like to live as a people gathered together who are in the book of life, people whom God has called to be his. As we think about that, one of the things that comes up in Paul's letter, he, he writes his friends in Philippi, and he wants to thank them because they've sent him support. They've sent him a gift. And not terribly surprising, Paul's a missionary. These are people who, who love him and care about his ministry, who have come to, to believe in the gospel because of what he has preached, and, and so they want to help him out. Paul doesn't necessarily respond in exactly the way we might expect. He, he writes back to them and in part says how much he doesn't really need the support. Now, you may have gotten nervous at first when I, I mentioned that Paul is writing about receiving a gift. Oh, here comes a giving sermon. And yet you might be thinking then, wow, but, but this is the ultimate giving sermon. If you're going to preach about how if, if I'm thinking about giving to the church that I'm going to get a letter back on how it isn't really needed, this is my kind of giving sermon. Well, well, let's not jump there either. Paul is going someplace else entirely, and it's a challenge to us both as we receive gifts and as we give them, and more generally, where are we centering our lives? What are we focused on? And that's really where it's going to boil down to tonight. But we need to dig in to see that, and we need God's help to see how it applies to us. So let's go ahead and come before him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the goodness of your word, and thank you for this particular portion of it. As we, we think about giving and receiving, as we think about supporting ministry and being supported, as we think more importantly about what underlies these things in what Paul has to say here, that in this word that you have given to us, that we are being told how we need to reorient our lives and better focus on you in everything we do. Lord, would you help us to see that tonight? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like to be comfortable? I'm kind of guessing, if I were to guess, that everyone listening tonight would say, I do. People generally don't want to be uncomfortable, and even if we seek things that are seemingly uncomfortable, it's somehow a comfort to us. Maybe it's going and embarking on a really hard challenge, a journey, a hike, a, a bike ride, a, some kind of endurance test, and it might not be comfortable in the moment, and yet we're chasing after the comfort of knowing we can do it, the comfort uh, of people's praise that we've done it. There's lots of things that make us com comfortable. What makes you comfortable? Maybe leave that in the comments below. I'd love to hear what you would pick. For myself, one of the things I love, and I look forward to this every day, is getting to that end of the day and being able to enjoy a few things, one of which is my evening cup of coffee. Oh, I, I love coffee, and you might be thinking, evening coffee? Why? Because coffee is so good. That's why. I mean, what could be better than ending the day with the goodness of coffee? And so, Excuse me a second here. Hmm. It's a good thing. It, it makes life so much better to be able to enjoy some coffee. Now, it's not just the end of the night coffee, though. It can be so much better if it's experienced with something else that's wonderful. 
and that's the that's the slipper you put on a nice fuzzy see this is nice and fuzzy nice and soft on your feet nice fuzzy comfortable pair of slippers you put this on it keeps your your toes nice and warm it keeps the rest of your foot nice and it feels so nice and soft you put those on you get that nice cup of coffee it just feels like the night is wrapping up wonderfully it is comfortable trust me if you haven't you really should it's comfortable this is what i would pick and and there's lots of things like that we like lots of different kinds of comforts the all kinds of things i i'm sure you can think of some and you're naming them right now and as you do these things are all contributing to sort of a, a broader overall life comfort, the ease of life when we have not only the things that we need, but the things that we want, not just food, but good food, not just something to, to drink to keep us hydrated, but something really good to drink. Those sorts of things. We, we gravitate towards those things and they actually become our goal. Even when we're doing something for someone else, like giving them a gift, like the Philippians did for Paul, what are we looking at? We're, we're looking at the joy of seeing someone happy. That makes us happy. But then the praise, thank you so much, this is wonderful, and so on and so forth, that then come right back to us. It comes down to that we have self-centered goals. Now, I don't want to take this chapter as a criticism of the Philippians. It, it clearly hasn't been, and it's not going to be. Paul isn't saying, Philippians, you have the wrong attitude on giving. Quite the opposite. But at the same time, he wants to model a better attitude towards giving and receiving and affirm that as he sees it in them and call us to it as well. And that's what we're going to see if we go ahead and look, starting at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul says here to start that he's received a gift from the Philippians, but they it's a matter of them taking back up supporting him. In our modern lingo, it's as if the Philippian church had picked Paul as one of their missionaries. They had him on the bulletin board in the church. They were supporting him. And at some period that had dropped off and then revived. And if that's all we knew about it, we might say, well, it seems like Paul's being a little passive aggressive here, isn't he? I'm so glad you've decided to support me again. But then he goes on, he says, because you haven't had the opportunity. Now, we don't know exactly what he has in mind there. But for some reason, the, the Philippians have been prevented from supporting Paul during the previous season. Several different possibilities that we could consider. One, some of Paul's opponents had been accusing him of, of actually doing the ministry in order to enrich himself, something he clearly wasn't doing. But for example, in Corinth, he refuses some of the gifts that they offer because he, he wants to be clear, I am not doing this for money. And Paul consistently tries to avoid having his ministry intermixed with financial gain for himself. And, and so not, not because he doesn't feel like he should receive it, but because he doesn't want it to be a conflict of interest. He doesn't want anyone to wonder why he's doing what he's doing. It goes so far in 2 Corinthians, for example, chapter 12, that he has to defend not only himself, but, but Titus, who has gone in 
in his place to, to minister to the Corinthians. And he points out to them because they're starting to think, well, maybe Paul didn't ask for any money, but we did support Titus when he came. Again, it's perfectly appropriate that they did, but some of the opponents of Paul have, have put these doubts in their minds and they start to think, well, maybe Titus is a, excuse me, Paul is a real con man. He's brought Titus here. We give the money to Titus. Titus hands the money over to Paul. Paul is bringing in the money, but he keeps acting like he isn't. They say, look at the evidence. Look at what Titus received from you. Look at how he handled those funds. Look at how he ministered amongst you. Do you really think anything suspicious is going on? Paul knows they're going to have to say no. But they, they've gotten themselves into that place. And, and even when the Corinthians were involved in being asked to give, what were they being asked to give for? They were being asked to give to the Jerusalem Fund, a, a charitable drive. It was a early church benevolence. It, it wasn't the sort of thing they could really accuse Paul of doing anything wrong. And, and yet some commentators think that maybe Paul just put a complete pause on receipt of any gifts from any of the churches so that no one could point to, oh, look, this church has been giving to Paul. Paul's all about the money. So that's a possibility. Another possibility here and what's going on is that Paul has been so concentrated on raising benevolence funds for those in need that he hasn't actually been able to take any gifts for himself because he wants to make sure it's all focused on those other needs. That's another possibility. We, we don't know for sure if that was the case, but it is certainly possible. A third possibility, though, is that the Philippians simply didn't know where to give to. Because Paul, as he was traveling and then arrested and then shipwrecked and so on, as all these things are going on, they may not have known how to give to Paul. The circumstances may have simply gotten in the way. Again, we don't know exactly why, but all these are, are legitimate parts of Paul's life. And in any case, what we do know is that at one point, the Philippians had, had sought to support Paul. At another point, they were unable to. And then now they've sent a gift, a, a very substantial gift, it would seem, to support Paul once again. Where's Paul in all this? Well, in any case, we know that, that Paul wasn't receiving gifts from the Philippians during a period of time, and at certain times not from others as well. And, and as he did that, he at times had plenty. And whether that was during his time of ministry, he's thinking back to the pre-ministry days when it was pretty easy as a, as a leader of the Pharisees that he was living really pretty well, whether he's thinking of that at some time when the church was really able to support him. We don't know, but there were times that he had experienced plenty, and there were other times he'd experienced a great need. He'd, he'd suffered, and he'd also had times that were relatively filled with comfort. And what he says is in all this, he can handle it. That, that, that he is okay in any of these situations. He didn't really need the support. Now, we probably all know people who, who will turn down help because they're so fiercely self, uh, self, um, not selfish. I don't want to say that. They're so independent and, and wanting to pull themselves up out of, out of their own bootstraps. Not out of their own bootstraps. I can't speak today. Uh, with their own bootstraps, et cetera, et cetera. That that the the real issue isn't so much that they don't need, but they are too prideful ultimately to receive help, even when they do need it. I'm okay. Yes, I'm sinking in quicksand. There's no way I'm getting out of it. Don't worry. I'll be okay. That kind of attitude. We've, we've seen that. Maybe sometimes we've been that. 
and certainly there were people in the ancient world that said, just live with whatever you have and just tough it out. This is life and this is what you're going to deal with. That's part of the, the so-called stoic philosophy where we just face life and we face it with a stiff upper lip and it will be okay. Is that what Paul's saying here? No, absolutely not. And we see that in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul isn't saying, look how strong I am. I'm okay. I have everything under control. He says, no, I trust that God is working. And if, if at some point I can't receive the gifts, whether it's because you can't find me or because the money needs to go elsewhere or because I have critics that need to be silenced and so I can't be receiving gifts right now, whatever the reason, and even if all those reasons sprout up at different times, I can do it not because I can do it, but because God can do it. If I'm in this situation, God is working in this situation. Just as when Paul prayed to have that thorn removed, that's also in 2 Corinthians, and, and, and Jesus says to him, my strength is sufficient for you. It's made perfect in weakness. That, that's the sort of attitude that Paul has here. It's not that it wouldn't be nice to be provided for abundantly, and he doesn't have to worry about anything, and he doesn't have to do anything other than busy himself writing letters of instruction to the churches he's ministering to or visiting them. It'd be wonderful, and yet... He knows that wherever he is, whatever he's situated in, that his strength is going to come from God. And so if he has plenty, that's going to come from God. If he has very little, that's going to come from God. Jesus is the one who's going to strengthen him. Side note, if you look at a recent Bible translation, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you look at an older translation, it might say, through Christ who strengthens me. That's because older manuscripts don't specifically say Christ. And so newer Bible translations favor those older, more reliable manuscripts. But the point is the same either way. It doesn't sound quite as good on a mug if it just says him. But clearly in context here, we know who it is that he's talking about. He's only talking about one him, and that's Jesus. And so he's saying, Jesus is the one who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not about being tough. And so if you've fallen into the trap of, of turning down people helping you, and you're doing that because you think, well, this is just my lot, it's easier to turn away help than, than to accept that help and then just have other people around or be disappointed in other people or whatever else. I'm just going to wall myself off. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be stoic. And everything's going to be at least bearable that way. If that's your attitude, that's not what Paul's encouraging. In fact, he would encourage the exact opposite. Take a look at verses 14 to 16. He goes on. He, this is right after he said he didn't really need those gifts, but he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul has received the gift, and he talks about how kind it is that they, they share in his trouble with him. He, he recognizes here that this is a joint venture, that he's not just off as the lone warrior evangelist going off to do work. He is actually a part of the body of Christ, including the Philippian church that he's preached the gospel to and seen them believe that gospel. Now they are with him in this. And and. To, to refuse the opportunity for them to share in his trouble, as he puts it, would actually be 
ungracious. It would be prideful in himself, trying to make himself self-important so he can say, well, I didn't need your help. Paul doesn't want help if it's going to bring strings attached that are, are going to distract from the gospel. But if it's actually instead saying, yes, I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. I can, we, we need to do this together, then he's going to receive it. So he's modeling really a focus that's true whether we're receiving or giving in a given moment. Or maybe doing some of both. Because what Paul's saying here is that it's not about his pride. It's not about him proving himself. It's about proving God. And so if proving God means turning down a gift because someone's going to use it to discredit the gospel, then he should. But if it's actually going to show the larger gospel community working together to the glory of God and showing that we help each other and we strengthen each other, then he's going to receive that gift with gratitude because it's speaking once again to God. Whether we're giving or we're receiving, that should be our focus. Are we focusing it on God? Are we focusing it on the heavenly realm that we should have our eyes focused on? Or are we focusing it on ourselves and our immediate comfort? Are we focusing it on when do I get to put the comfortable pair of slippers on? Hmm, hopefully pretty soon. Actually, I have a different pair on right now so that I can be comfortable while I'm preaching to you. That's one of the nice things about being online. I get to have slippers on while I'm preaching. How about that? But what it really comes down to is not getting caught up in that focus, but being focused on God's glory. And so Paul says, if it's comfortable, great. If it's uncomfortable, great. I just want to focus on God's glory in everything, including receiving your gift. So he's content without those present rewards. If they're provided so that he's well provided for and he's able to keep doing the ministry and he's not starving to death and he's able to travel when he is at liberty to do so. He's not at this point. But all those things, wonderful. If it's not there, that's okay too because it's God who's going to give him the strength. Once we focus on that, once we have that heavenly focus on where our strength is coming from and that desire to see both giving and receiving focused on that, then it allows us to start looking towards what really matters because we're not looking after ourselves so much. Today's my grandpa's birthday. I was thinking about all the things he loved to do. And, and one of the things he loved to do, and, and if the weather permitted, certainly today would have been a day that he probably would have been doing some of it, was to garden. He he loved to garden. He had a huge garden every year and he'd plant all kinds of tomatoes and potatoes and he'd have rhubarb and okra and who knows what else, plenty of peppers. He had all kinds of things in his garden. He loved to garden and as soon as it was possible to plant anything, such as potatoes, he was out there planting them because he couldn't wait to get his garden going for the year. He was excited about it every single year. Here's the thing, though, if you've done gardening, if you're going out there and say he went out there on his birthday and he starts digging up some holes and putting in some plants that, that are, are hardy enough to, to tolerate this sort of weather. If he then went out later on his birthday and started digging them up, thinking, OK, I'm going to dig up these potatoes now and enjoy them. I, I want to enjoy them. Well, that would be foolish, right? He'd just be digging up the seed potatoes. Nothing has happened yet. And gardening is a, an art of patience. You have to to wait months to plant something like rhubarb. You're going to wait years to enjoy it. There, there's a time commitment involved where we're looking off into the future. What Paul is, is talking about here is he talks about giving and receiving, but what the Philippians need to be focused on and what he needs to be focused on 
is that we're all gardening together. We're, we're planting parts of what God is doing. God's using us to do that. And we can take joy in that, but it's not going to happen immediately in this moment. We're not going to see the full fruit of it in this moment. If we're, we're just racing to the next moment that we have comfort, that we put on the slippers or we grab the cup of coffee, you know you want one by now, don't you? If that's what we're focused on, it's ultimately going to disappoint us. If we have our eyes heavenly focused, though, and we're thinking about ultimate comfort, we're going to be ultimately satisfied. Take a look at verse 17 and following. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says very directly there. Here's why I'm so glad you gave. And you've provided for me abundantly. I have more than I could possibly need now. What a wonderful thing that is. Here's why I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it so that you could actually experience, not that I was that you were fulfilling a gift I was seeking, but verse 17, that the fruit that increases to your credit. He wants them to experience the joy of building the kingdom. It's not just something Paul's doing but they're doing it. And they may not be called to be missionaries traveling all around the known world, but they certainly are called to play a part, play a part in their community, but also play a part in this case in helping Paul. That's why as churches, we may not all be called to go do international missions, but we all should be seeking as the church to support it. That Little Hills from the very get-go, from our very first weeks, we've been seeking to support some of our international missionary friends because we want to see not just what we're doing in the area that brings comfort to ourselves, our own building, our own our own environment, but we want to see the larger gospel. We want to be a part of that. The Philippians wanted to be a part of that with Paul. That That is what we should be doing. So the Philippians are giving, but he doesn't want them simply to feel like they're, they're having the joy of giving to their friend. Oh, Paul's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But he wants them to actually see, no, what this is doing is, is supporting the kingdom supporting God's work. It's it's not really about that immediate gratification of now we know that Paul's okay. It's about something much larger, which is that we're we're testifying to God's glory. We're going to experience ultimately in heaven something much greater than what we experience here. And so while Paul says here that he's well supplied and, and it comes through that, that love of the body of Christ together, he goes on in verse 19, he says that they're going to be well supplied. And it doesn't seem that Paul is, is saying, oh, you know, like some televangelist today, oh, look here, you've given, now you're going to get even more in return. I remember one time turning on the television and just feeling queasy as I was listening to it because this this pastor was talking about how he'd given some money to to this television ministry and in return, according to him, he now had private jets. And I just remember that really just disturbed me because it was all about, I gave a little money and now God has given me this absurdly large gift in return. Well, how'd he get it? Well, he did it by being a televangelist who was telling more people to give and they gave him enough and then he went and got a jet out of it. Paul isn't doing anything extravagant here. Paul isn't trying to build up a kingdom for himself. He's seeking to build up God's kingdom 
He wants the Philippians to know as they're giving, that's exactly what they're contributing to. Not to his own comforts, not so he can jet set around the Roman world, but so that the gospel's being preached, that he can help those in need, etc., etc. In other words, instead of the Philippians investing in the sorts of things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6 that moth and rust destroy, instead they're investing in the kingdom. It doesn't mean they're going to immediately get worldly benefit back. And when we're looking for that, when we say, well, I'm going to give to the church and then I'm waiting for God to, to fix my car or give me a new car or give me a new job, sometimes he chooses to bless us that way. But if we're doing it for that, we're going to be disappointed, even if that happens. But if we're giving it because we want to see the church grow, we want to see the gospel proclaimed, we that's our focus. We want God's glory. We're going to get a much greater reward. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 19. That's where our focus needs to be. And not just in giving, in everything we do, whether if we're serving in the church, if we're serving each other, if we're doing Bible study, we shouldn't be reading the Bible each day, hoping that, that God, is, by seeing us read the Bible each day, is going to somehow make our life easy. We should be doing it because we want to know more about his glory and experience it in, in an ultimate heavenly way. Verse 17 again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wants them to, to really experience the true wealth that they can experience, not earthly wealth, not er earthly comforts. He, he's not saying, if you get this, you're always going to have a cup full of coffee and a pair of slippers on your feet. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you do these things, you're going to experience something much, much better. He wants them to see what that looks like in his life, and not because he's so great, but because Jesus has given him the strength to do it. And then to be strengthened in the Holy Spirit to do it themselves, to, to have contentment where they are, and want to do everything to God's glory. And that, that brings peace, that, that allows us to experience the, the wonder of God's love and his care for us in a way that we can't otherwise. We come at things looking at how we can make it work for us. And so even when we're giving we might think, well, I'm doing a really, I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing here. I'm giving to the church. I'm, I'm giving to this missionary. I'm doing this, or I'm serving in this way. I'm giving up time. And yet it comes back to, to trying to make it about ourselves. And, and it reminds me of when we take the wrong tool for the job. I got this, um, this hammer out of my grandpa's toolbox. Hammer, a hammer is a really useful thing. Giving to support ministry is a useful thing. Receiving that gift can be a useful thing. But what happens if we're using it in the wrong context? If I take this hammer here and, and I, I go over to something that needs to be screwed in and I start banging at it with this hammer and I just start pounding and pounding and pounding on that, am I actually fixing anything? No, I'm probably breaking it. I need to go get a screwdriver. I need to screw in the things that need to be screwed in. Maybe this little table here needs to be tightened a little bit. I need to screw it together. I don't need to hit it with this hammer. On the other hand, if I have something that needs to be nailed, I need to, to hit it with this hammer and nail it in and, and pound it until it's in the right place. It's the right tool for the right job. When we're seeking after our own comfort, everything becomes about that. When we're focusing on ourselves, everything becomes about that. And we're hammering at things that don't need to be hammered in. It's not that comfort's bad. But then instead, when we start to focus on, well, what does this particular thing need? And, and, we, and we do that by putting on the glasses of seeing God's glory, that that's what we, what we really want to see. Then we start to see what actually needs to be screwed in, what needs to be nailed, 
and we use the right tool for the job. The Philippians did in this case. They gave to Paul in his need. They participated, and they're experiencing a participation in God's glory. That's what it's all about. Paul's just affirming that and encouraging them and encouraging you and me to have the same attitude. Hope this encouraged you tonight, and I hope it encourages all of us because this is a constant struggle. It's a struggle for me, and I think it's a struggle genuinely for all of us in our human condition. Let's pray that God would help us to keep those grace-focused, those God's glory-focused glasses on all the time. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, too often we, we focus on ourselves, even in, in our giving, we, or we focus still earthly, like if the Philippians, for example, had just focused on wanting to help Paul and, and not seeing how it played into your glory. But Lord, would you help us to put those glasses on that we would we would see instead where it's going. When we give, that it's going for your glory. When we receive, that we receive for your glory. When we serve, we serve for your glory. Would you help us to live our entire lives that way? That we might see exactly what needs to be done in the situation because we're focused on you and your kingdom, not on ourselves. Would you help us to do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can do that because of God's grace. And... Uh, <laughs> We just wanted you to see that one more time. Isn't that wonderful? That that wonderful, wonderful passage. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Technology doesn't always work, but God's grace always works. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that you're here each week. Would you please share this video if it was a blessing to you and encourage others to think about what God's truly calling us to, to his glory, and that he will sustain us in everything that we face. It's amazing how he's doing that at Little Hills. Here we are. We're a year from the first time we gathered to pray as we were preparing to launch, that was the, that was last year on March 13th. And here we are a year later. God is sustaining us and God is going to sustain you each and every day. If there's any way I could be praying for you as you go through life, feel free to shoot a text to the address, to the phone number rather on screen. I'd love to hear from you. Any questions as well? Or leave it in the comments below and we can all pray together because what a wonderful blessing that is. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. I'll look forward to seeing you again next week.